0: in worship, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 4, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I take your attention to likely the most popular portion of that verse. As Paul writes, but God, who is rich in mercy. If you'll allow me tonight, I'd like to preach to you from this simple thought. A masterpiece called mercy. A masterpiece called mercy. Why don't we lift our hands and our voices together. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for the moving and the ministering of your spirit that is in this place. We ask you to do whatever you desire and however you desire to do it. Let your will be done in this house. God, move and minister as you see fit, for you have perfect knowledge of every season and of every situation, God, and you know exactly what we have need of in this place tonight. We give you glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving. Oh, why don't we clap our hands to the Lord one more time? Hallelujah. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. You know, for years you wander down the hallways of your elementary school, and as you become a little older, you become a little bit more of an art critic. I can remember walking through the halls of elementary school, gazing upon the masterpiece drawings of the kindergarten class, wondering what in the world is that. When you become a parent, that perspective changes completely. You don't know what it is, but you hang it on the refrigerator anyway. You have no idea what it says, but it is incredibly touching regardless. Landon has a weekly habit now that my dad and, and my stepmother work for Tupelo Children's Mansion, and every Wednesday, their vehicle is parked outside in the parking lot, and Landon has a Tradition now of writing pops and momma a note. I had no idea that you could spell momma without letters. You can spell momma with a square. What he told me this week, as he made his card out to mama and he wrote a square, clear as day. And I said, "What in the world is that, son?" He said, "Mama." Apparently, square now equals momma. That's all you need to know. I would probably feel somewhat concerned and unsure about Landon's artistic future if it were not for some of the so called masterpieces that hang in art galleries. If you don't believe me, just take a look at this beautiful painting by the hands of a professional artist, Joan Miró, called The Dog. this made it into a museum, folks. Landon's got a pretty good shot. Mama with a square might be a masterpiece after all. You may laugh at this, but the artist who drew this so-called masterpiece sold it for $2.2 million. Anybody need to help? We can go into business. You draw them, I'll sell them. We'll split it. There's another beautiful masterpiece that made its way into art galleries. This one has no name. It should be labeled how I learned to write the letter E. But this picture is painted by C.L. Tambley, sold at auction for $2.3 million dollars. It doesn't take much. These don't really look like masterpieces. Not what we would think. There's nothing in that that screams Picasso. There's nothing in that that reminds you of the painted ceilings in architectural-styled buildings. There's nothing about it that says talent or ability at all. It just says, I had a pen and I got bored. That's what it speaks to me. Maybe it speaks something else to you. They don't look like what we would commonly describe as masterpiece art. Maybe the artist sees something we don't see. Maybe they understood something we don't understand. From those two paintings, they understood a lot I don't understand. The first one looks like an aardvark, not a dog. It's come somewhat of a struggle. But can I tell you that sometimes you don't see the masterpiece. It doesn't look like a masterpiece to you. It doesn't look like the perfect season or the perfect time or the perfect place. Can I tell you, there are some times that God Himself is working a masterpiece in your life and in your family and in your season. And it doesn't look that way on first glance, and it doesn't look like that from your perspective. and where you're seated, you can't see it from the right angle, but there's sometimes that God, through His mercy, is working a masterpiece in your life and in your family. And it may not look like it now, but God is the perfect artist and he is flawless in his design and he is faithful to every word he's promised. It may not look like a masterpiece of a season, but oh God, who is really in mercy is working in your favor and he is is pouring out his goodness and his blessings on you. Mercy is something that most certainly we are familiar with. It's the foundation of who God is. It's the cornerstone. It's a cornerstone trait of his character. I love how Paul when he writes in Ephesians He writes and he says, he doesn't simply say God who has mercy. He says God who is rich in mercy. I think it's very noteworthy that Paul does not state God who was rich in mercy. No, Paul said he is rich in mercy. It's not a past tense rich. He's still rich in mercy. He wasn't just rich in mercy yesterday. He wasn't just rich in mercy in one season of your life. He wasn't just rich in mercy when that happened. No, He is God who is rich in mercy today. His mercy is as abundant today as it ever has been in all of your life. The mercy of God is new every morning. Paul doesn't write of a God who was rich in mercy. No, Paul has far too much understanding of the words of the psalmist to write that. Paul reaches back into the repertoire of his mind and he pulls forth the knowledge that the psalmist would give when he said, but the mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. Paul is far too acquainted with the writing of Jeremiah to say God was rich in mercy. No, he understands what Jeremiah writes in Lamentation when he says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because of his mercy, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Paul well understood he is rich in mercy. He's as rich in mercy today as He was yesterday. His mercy is from everlasting to those that would call on Him. It's as everlasting and available today as it ever has been. God is still rich in mercy. In fact, the psalmist would describe the mercy of God in this fashion. He would say, for thy mercy is great above the heavens, if thy truth reaches unto the clouds. If you want to know about his mercy, not only is it everlasting, but his mercy knows no bounds. It reaches high and it looks low. It reaches to those that are in the valley and those that stand on the mountain. It does not matter what season or circumstance you are standing in. God's mercy is boundless and it's ever abounding and it always works. Titus says, it's not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Mercy is so woven into the nature of God that it knows no bounds. Mercy so freely given by the hand of the one who is rich in mercy that it stretches from everlasting to everlasting Can I tell someone on a Sunday night that God's mercy is not depleted because of your dilemma? God's mercy is as available to you on this Sunday night as it was the first time you ever uttered a prayer or the first time you ever reached for Him. Can I tell you, sir, God's mercy will not abandon you in the midst of your situation. And because of your shortcoming, God's mercy is available. Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy. So woven into the character of Christ that when he begins to describe the character of the kingdom, he not only causes men to be the recipients of mercy but He commands us to also be merciful. If you'll allow me again to revisit something that for months has lodged itself into my spirit, Jesus, when speaking of the nature of the kingdom and the principles of it, finds it so noteworthy that He includes not just the receipt of mercy, but the extension of it. As He writes this, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is. Merciful. When he gives the Sermon on the Mount, listed in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you'll allow me to tag into where Pastor was this morning, I believe and dare say that it is something. There's something to be seen in how we love God. And even more to be seen in how we love others. It's one thing to receive mercy. It's another thing to give it. Mercy is easily received. But sometimes it's reserved in it's giving. But oh, the call of God is that we have so received the richness of his mercy that mercy should flow out of the church. Mercy should flow out of us into the lives of others. If there's a place where men and women should find mercy, they should find it at the church. They should find it in our walk. They should find it in our words. They should find it in our action. When we find ourselves in conversation with those in great need of mercy, there should be somewhere that we reach into the richness of the mercy extended to us, and we are merciful. In fact, I would dare say that there is more spiritual maturity seen in how we treat others than in how we shout. You can tell more about spirituality by how we love God and how we love our neighbor than how we sing or how we dance. The command of God and the mark of discipleship was nothing to do with how I sing. It was how I did, how did I love. The mark of discipleship was not indicated by my dance. It was indicated by my discipline to love my neighbor and to love those whom I have. He said, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you haven't? It's the foundation block of the kingdom. Mercy is woven into the very fabric of the kingdom of God. We are called to be merciful and to extend mercy. God blesses those that are merciful and extends mercy to them. In fact, in Micah, he goes on and he states, if you want to know what's good for man, he says, to walk walk justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with that God. He said what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly love mercy and walk humbly?" we know without a doubt that God is rich in mercy that his mercy is everlasting it's new every morning it's boundless reaching to all men can I tell you on a Sunday night there's no sin that stops mercy there's no past that impedes its ability to reach and to restore let me Proclaim here tonight that there is mercy that is ever present and always available. Regardless of how long, regardless of what's happened, he is rich in mercy. He is abundant in grace. He is faithful and just to forgive. Yet how oftentimes it is hard to see the masterpiece of mercy. Because what we think mercy should look like and what mercy looks like are sometimes worlds apart. Sometimes it's the mercy of God, but we don't perceive it as such. Sometimes God, through His mercy, is painting a masterpiece, and we step back and we say, I'm not sure what that is. If you don't believe me, just find yourself looking through the pages of Scripture you find the unfolding of a universal masterpiece as Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden. But nobody ever sees eviction notices mercy. But God says I love you too much to leave you like this. There is a lamb slain from the foundation. There is a heel called Golgotha. There is a plan that I have to restore you into communion with me. I can't leave you where you are that you would be in a sin-filled condition forever. And so I've got to move you out of here, and I've got to do what I've got to do. I've got to robe myself in flesh. I've got to die on a cross. I've got to shed my blood So that redemption and restoration, it may not look like mercy in the moment. It looked like eviction in the moment. But oh, what God was doing was painting a masterpiece through his mercy that men would be restored and redeemed and reconciled to him. Surely they couldn't see it in the moment. God, we don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand why this. We don't understand why that. But God, in the back of his mind, he had a plan for redemption. And mercy was working and painting a masterpiece that they could not perceive at the moment. If you don't believe, look at Jonah. It may not look like a masterpiece of mercy. As Jonah is tossed into the sea and swallowed by a great fish. Surely mercy would have calmed the waters. Surely mercy would have caused Jonah to drift safely to the shore. And as he arrived at the serene shores, he would surely be greeted greeted by a great chariot awaiting him to take him to the city. Oh, that's what mercy should look like. But no, mercy painted a masterpiece in the middle of the muddled waters of the storm in Jonah's life. And Jonah writes about the account, and here's how he says it. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, is caught out of the belly of the fish, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction to the Lord, and he heard me. He's sitting in the middle of a fish, and he says, God heard me! How many times... Do we rejoice like that? The problem's still there. The circumstance is still not resolved. The dilemma is still pressing on my mind. I don't have the answer. I can't see the way. Oh, I don't know what's happening here, but in the middle of the fish's belly, Jonah writes, he said, he heard me. I don't have an answer yet. I'm still in the fish's belly, but I know he heard me. It hadn't been resolved, and I've not been delivered, but I know he heard me. Can I tell you, saint of God, in the midst of... Whatever's happening in your world, God, through His mercy, begins to work in things you don't see and in circumstances you don't understand. And He is working for your good. I love that. I've never noticed that before until I was reading Jonah just the other week. And He's still sitting in the fish. And He says, But God, There's not been any miraculous road unfold before me, but I know he heard me. I don't know what the next step happens after this, but I know he heard me. How, Jonah, can you write so confidently in God's hearing ear? (laughs) Because Jonah understood that mercy was at work. He could have died in the storm. He could have drowned in the sea. Many things could have unfolded, but here he sits in the middle of a situation that's still not resolved, and he says, Oh, but God heard. Me, Can I tell you, saint of God, sometimes you've just got to sit right in the middle of an unresolved thing and you got to say, I know that God heard me. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what turn comes after this, but I do understand that God is rich in mercy and he's not going to leave me in this. He's going to work a masterpiece in the unseen. Scripture is full of unseen masterpieces. As God leads Israel out of Egypt, parts the Red Sea, rains manna from heaven, raises a serpent in the middle of their sickness to see healing into the camp, water bursts forth out of a rock. And yet, when you begin to read in Exodus, you come across a scripture that's Man, you somewhat just set back and you say, What? Well, why would he not do that? Because as you find Exodus 23, the Lord speaking about the land of promise in the 29th verse, he said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Speaking about the giants, speaking about the inhabitants of the land, he said, In one year I'm not going to drive them out. Lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the fields multiply against thee. God, why would you not just give it all to us right now? God, why can you not just drive everybody out right now? Because God in his mercy understood that they could not handle the entirety of the land at that moment. In fact, if you continue reading, he said, By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. He said, if I give it to you all right now, you can't manage it. And so what I'll do is little by little, it doesn't look like great victory. It doesn't look like the great promise. It doesn't look like the way you thought he would fulfill it. You thought you would walk out of Egypt into Canaan. Everybody would get out of the way, and you would dance in a land full of milk and honey. But he looks at Israel and he says, I can't do it like that. But if you'll let me through mercy, I'll paint a masterpiece, and you'll inherit the very thing I promised. And it may not look like the way you thought it should. It may not do what you thought it should. But I can tell you that God, who is perfect in wisdom and knowledge and understanding will go before you. Mercy begins to unfold before them and they don't even see it because God who's rich in mercy is painting a masterpiece in the unseen because if I drive everybody out the land is going to consume you. The wild beasts are going to become more than you can marry. And God, through his mercy, he drives it out little by little by little. If the musicians will help me. I'm going to come quickly to a close. See, sometimes, sometimes it's the little by little that we struggle with. Because somewhere in our mind, we're looking for a miraculous turn of events. When God is saying, little little. By little, by little. Somewhere we're looking for this sea parting experience to happen every time. And God's saying sometimes, little by little is what you need. Because if I did it all at one time, you wouldn't be able to sustain it. You wouldn't be able to handle it. And so rather than do that, mercy will paint a masterpiece that doesn't look like a masterpiece to you mercy will paint a picture that you step back and you say, God, I don't even know what that is. God says, if you'll give me a moment and let me finish in my mercy, I'll paint a masterpiece. There may be prayers in your life that are still yet unanswered and you step back and you say, God, I've prayed this time and again and I don't understand why it looks the way it does. Can I tell you, God, paints unseen masterpieces. You may be holding on for prodigals and you don't understand why it seems they are where they are and you've prayed and you've fasted and you've believed. But can I tell you that somewhere God works in the unseen to paint a masterpiece from a perspective that you can't see right now. telling you, somewhere in my mind I got stuck on some kind of a southern gospel album and it's lodged itself in the back of my brain. Every time I preach, I think about a song. The Magruder said it really well. What once looked like a mountain is just a heel from heaven's point of view. Sometimes it's not that you don't see God working, you just don't see it from the perspective that He sees it. We get frustrated sometimes by what we see. And we say, God, if this would just happen or if that would just happen. But God has a totally different vantage point. And he looks on it and he says, yeah, but mercy's moving right now and you can't see it. And mercy's working right now and you don't perceive it. And mercy's reaching right now and you don't know it. You want it all to happen. But God says, if you'll just hold on, I am working doesn't look like mercy, doesn't look like much of a masterpiece but God God is a masterful artist His plan is